Morning. So, if you haven't established, I'm Nick. I've been here since uh, we planted out of Kings, and this morning we're going to continue our series on Hebrews. Now, before we continue, a word of caution. This sermon has been rated 12A. It contains scenes of slaughter, peril, nudity, and a greater sacrifice. We have got quite a bit of scripture to get through, so I'm going to plough on through. I'm using the NIV, where in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we're missing a little bit out because Mark's preached on it already. Here we go. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is why, when Christ came to the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings of sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings of sin, nor were you pleased with them though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand. There he waits for his enemies until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when the sins have been forgiven, there is no need to make any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood, to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Moving on to verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even through the most terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along those who were thrown in jail. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings to you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will, that you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and without delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Why do the animals have to die? The passage we're looking at this morning starts with what came before. What came before was the law of Moses. We often refer to this as the Mosaic law. As you read through Exodus and Leviticus, we see plenty of references to those laws that protected and governed Israel. The law, which we refer to as the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, required the sacrifice of animals to atone for the sins of the people. And by atone, we mean make right. In our context, we're talking about making ourselves right with God in the light of our sins and sinful nature. The use of animals as a sacrifice, or guilt offering as it was known, goes way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis. When they sinned, God killed animals to provide clothing for them so they could hide their nakedness and cover their newfound shame. This was the first time the animals had to die. Even though burning an offering in place of sin was not a God-directed ceremony, as an act of worship, we see Cain and Abel bringing burnt offerings to God. We see it again in Noah. After the flood, Noah took some of every clean animal and made a burnt offering. He took the first of the clean animals and offered a portion of it to God. Genesis 8 reports this as producing a sweet aroma to the Lord. As I was preparing, this phrase struck me. The pleasing aroma is not because the Lord is a fan of the barbecue. It's pleasing to him because the sins that taste bitter have been covered. What we see in Leviticus is God making law what is already commonplace, common practice among his people. It's not as straightforward as you might think. Tim alluded to it last week. Making an offering was not a do-it-yourself affair. A priest would make the offering on your behalf. The presence of God was not somewhere you just entered into. It was a dangerous place to be. Not only did the priests know the processes and the procedures, but they were also wary not to get too close. This is why the priests carried out the offering. The priest would transfer the sin onto the animal, which would then be slaughtered and burnt. The animal's life was taken in order to preserve human life in the form of their relationship with God. Sacrifices were all about transformation. 
The sin needs to be transformed in order for it to become acceptable. One way to transform was to destroy, hence the fire. The sacrifice was destroyed entirely on the fire to make smoke that ascended to God. Let me be clear, God didn't need these sacrifices in order to forgive his people. God wanted his people to remember the consequences of their sin, to come back to him and to repent, to start their journey with him afresh. But as time went by, the ritual got old, the Israelites began to sacrifice without the repentance. It became a show, an act, just something that we do. God says that he despises their offerings. They are meaningless without the heart factor. A fact echoed in Cain's wrong-hearted offering to God. There were stringent rules about what would suffice as an acceptable sacrifice. First, the animal had to be spotless. Or in in another way, without blemish. The animal had to be so good, so pure and perfect to counter the evil, the impure, the imperfect sin. It was a foreshadowing, a glance at Jesus' perfect and pure sacrifice. Secondly, uh, sorry, uh, yeah. Secondly, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal. The sacrifice had to mean something to them. Blood, lifeblood, had to be spilt. The price for our sins is death. Their death. The animal died in their place. They had to understand that this precious, spotless animal was dying for their wrongdoing. And third, the person offering the animal had to inflict death upon it. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness. A price had to be paid, and this was the way, at least for the moment. What to have for starters? If you haven't gathered already, I love food and I really love an appetizer. We don't get to eat out very often just because it's so expensive, so I like to make the most of it. Now, I wouldn't say I miss a meal in order to be hungry enough, but by the time I'm sat down, I feel like I'm wasting away. And as I peruse the menu, I'm keen to get that first course on the table. I don't have a particularly sweet tooth, so I'm not worried about ruining my appetite by having a starter. And although... I really enjoy my starter. I know it's nothing compared to what's coming next. By the time we've arrived, I've anguished for hours in advance. I've tried to decide which stomach-stretching meal I'm going to treat myself to. But which starter? The pâté or the prawns? Can I stretch to both? I look across at Jen for some assistance in choosing. Jen gives me a clear look telling me I can't have both. Decision made. I'll enjoy the pâté and I'll look forward to the pork belly. Or maybe I'll have the pie. Enough of this food talk. It is genuinely making me hungry and I can hear stomachs growling from the congregation. The problem with the animal sacrifices was the duration of their covering. They were simply only sufficient to cover the sin since the Last Atonement. They were a stopgap, a temporary measure to fill the needs of God's people during a particular season in history. Another problem with the animal offering was that the guilt remained. Each time the offering was made, the people were reminded of their guilt and shame. Every time the smoke rose, the stench 
lodged in their nostrils and the acrid smoke leaving a mark at the back of their throats. This was still just a temporary covering, just as God had given clothing covering Adam and Eve, until a greater permanent and perfect sacrifice was to be offered. This animal atonement was just what those guys had to do. This wasn't a blasé or token ritual. Their heart had to be in it. Their faith had to rest on it. It was a dim view for now, but only an appetizer for what was to come. Picture this. We're having a church picnic down the wreck. It's an incredibly hot day, absolutely sweltering. All the best seats under the gazebo are long gone. Kane and Lynn have settled in their chairs, you know, the ones with the fridge underneath with the rosé and the cider. The kids are in the paddling pool, splashing germs around, and even the frisbee's been stopped because people are just too hot to go chasing after it anymore. And then Tom walks by with the biggest New Forest ice cream you have ever seen. Now, he could tell you about how good it tastes. You can begin to consider how great it would be to have one yourself. But until you tasted of it, you wouldn't know what it was like. You'd know about it, and you could probably pass the ice cream exam on its colour, consistency, taste, flavour, texture, but you wouldn't know until you taste it. Then you would know. We read in the Bible about what it's like to have your sins taken away, for them never to be remembered again. But until you experience it, you just don't know what it's like. This perfect sacrifice is not a ritual made to cover the gap, but a full transformation of our shortfallings into a perfect relationship. Christ's sacrifice made the need for ritual killings of animals obsolete. There's no need to top up this atonement now. All the sin has been covered. It is all sufficient. The sacrifice is inexhaustible and irreversible. What was needed was a perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice. A saviour that gave up everything in order to save the world that he loves. A sacrifice that not only cleanses, but also allows us to forget, to leave our guilt behind at the cross. What a gift that is. The starter has been forgotten now because the main course has arrived. Not only was it a gift, this was and still is God's will for us. What was once a dim view, an approximation of what was to come, has now been transformed into understanding and experience. When we sin, What we're doing is actually falling short, not meeting the mark of the standard that God holds us to. God sees everything less than perfection as sin. That's the reality of it. All sins, regardless of how we view them, are counted equal in God's eyes. So falling short a fraction is like missing the boat entirely. Jesus' death does not cover just the small to mediocre sins, I'd say somewhere between sharing your Netflix login and shoplifting. The thing with this new sacrifice is it covers the whole spectrum of sin. Even the deepest, darkest desecration that mankind can inflict on each other. Jesus' death covers the lot. It is all sufficient for all time. All it takes is a moment with Jesus. Take care to listen to what that means for us. No more shame or guilt. 
No more slaughter or bloodshed. No more reminder of our transgressions or disobedience. What's left is compassion and love. What remains is hope and eternity with our all-sufficient saviour, Jesus. What that means for us is that we've been saved from ourselves. We've been saved from our original destination and given everything we don't deserve because, because he loves us. Finally, a way to be right with God the way he intended. The plan was to transfer sin and transfer sin it did. All sin for all time. I want to head back to the original passage and pick out three points that will help us in our walk of faith. Verse 23 gives us three clear instructions of how we should live together under our new relationship with God. Hold tightly to hope, to motivate one another, and to not neglect meeting with one another. I want to have a look at these instructions in the the form of a classic three-point preach. I am, however, going to mix up the order a little. Point one, hold on tightly to hope. What is our hope? Well, should we glance at the Old Testament, we could incorrectly see a, see a wrathful and angry God, an immoral monster, as some atheists would have us believe. But what we actually see, should we take the time to delve into the depths of those seemingly dark verses, is a compassionate God. Righteously angry he is, but his compassion far outweighs his anger and wrath towards us his unfaithful people. He made a way for Adam and Eve to be made right. He gave them a hope and a future. He sent prophets to nations to see them saved, even if they themselves didn't want to see the nation saved, to see his compassion meet them. He gave them a hope and a future. He sent his son to die to put a stop to the endless roundabout of sin and sacrifice. He remade his promise to his people and gave them, gave them, He gave us his hope and his future. This is our hope. We have a redemptive God, a God of love, compassion, and a desire to have relationship with his people. How do we get this hope? Well, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you've already had this hope planted firmly in your heart. You might not feel like it sometimes, which is why it's important that we remind ourselves and each other regularly. Continue to repent, enjoy the closeness of the perfect sacrifice and proclaim the goodness of God. You know in your knower, even if other people have to prompt you every now and again. If you don't know, if you've got this hope planted in your heart, then I think this message might just be for you. Jesus is the greater sacrifice. The guilt and shame that is attracted to us like iron filings on a magnet, sharp to the touch, and difficult to shift. Even when you think you've got them all, some still remains. There is a better way. And Jesus' death and bloodshed is the road to our salvation. He is our hope and our future. Without him, we have no hope. Without him, there is no wonderful future beyond death. By committing to Jesus and acknowledging that he is the better way, we get to enjoy relationship together with him. It's Jesus' love for you that took him to the cross. He paid the ultimate price, our bond, our payment for wrongdoing, so that we are free to enjoy the riches God has for us without spot or blemish. His blood running down his side has washed us cleaner than we ever thought possible.
Having a covenant, a promise with Jesus, means that you get to inherit everything he promises in the New Testament. You'll know peace in the storm, joy in the heartache, and hope for eternity with a lover of your soul. Things that previously concerned and worried you are less worrisome because Jesus takes the burden. Because if God can atone for all the wrongdoings in all creation, he can surely care for us and take and help us with our troubles. I've got a little asterisk here saying our troubles are like nothing compared to him, but they mean everything. You have a new family in him, his church. For both the Christian and the wanderer, drawing near to Jesus is where we need to be. Number two, don't neglect meeting together. What brings us together? We have such a wide demographic here each Sunday. The chances of us meeting under different circumstances are slim. But that's the joy of Jesus. All are welcomed under the same banner, love. What brings us together? It's Jesus. Jesus takes the wanderer, the lost, the the broken, the needy, the tempted and the tried, and he loves them. This is our common ground. This is how we relate. It's all about Jesus. Because of Jesus, we were delivered, we are delivered from our future death and separation from God. We are being made whole and perfect because of Jesus' death. We serve a common goal, to bring glory to God and tell others about this amazing opportunity. This is why I want my church family to journey well. Because Jesus' love has overflowed into my life. I've caught a glimpse of what he sees in you. And that person, you, are worth investing in. This is why the elders care about their flock. Jesus has established them to protect his valuables here in Fallingbridge and Wimborne. We're instructed not to neglect meeting together because we are stronger together than we are alone. When I'm struggling with anxiety, it's my brothers that grab me. They grab the sandbags and shore me up. They make sure my feet are firmly planted on the right foundation, not something that will wash away with the first wave. They pray for me and they keep checking in on me, making sure I'm doing all right. They hold me accountable to my words, my actions, my understanding, my prayer life, my marriage, my everything making sure I'm staying strong with Jesus and making him the centre of my problems. When my brother falls, I'm there to help pick him up and direct him back to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can save us. My role in that moment is to encourage him and remind him where his eyes should focus. Number three, motivate one another. I think, you like it? (laughs) I think, this is particularly, well, I think this one is particularly important for us and really links with meeting one another. It's our love for each other, the love that Jesus has given us that makes us want to serve one another. Spending time with each other, encouraging each other to seek more fervently after Jesus, to make our own little sacrifices for each other, to bear one another's burdens, to care, to spend time together, to listen. 
Listening is so important. Can I encourage you to listen more? We need to remind each other that we do not worship a God who replaces, but a God who redeems. Animal sacrifices atoned for past sin. Jesus' sacrifice does not just atone for past sin, it gives us a new heart. Sins present and future are also now atoned for. Our new hearts have made us living sacrifices. During times of tribulation, hardship and struggle, I need to be motivated by my Christ-given family. I sometimes don't have the stamina, the perseverance or vision to do it myself. We need to come alongside those that are struggling and push them forward and towards Jesus. Because only he can get them through. When you're stuck in the whirlwind of anxiety, depression, debt, pain, heartbreak, only Jesus is sufficient. Only Jesus has the power to heal and to power them to break through. I need you, my brothers and sisters, to motivate me. And I'll do my best to motivate you. I need you to look around those, around you, for those people that need some love and direction to Jesus. Don't shrink back from the task. Your role in that moment is to be as Jesus. Love and compassion need to outweigh the desire to do anything else, whatever gets in the way. What do we do with this now? Surely we have to do something with this, right? Verse 39 says, but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We're doing all right then, aren't we? We've got full assurance of hope in Jesus. The reverse of the coin is, so what about those that are still facing destruction? I'm gonna pause for 30 seconds. And I want you to think about the names of those around you that do not know the perfectly atoning life-giving power of Jesus, colleagues, friends, a family. They might not know it, but they're relying on someone to share the life-saving news of Jesus. And I think that someone is you. Now, I appreciate I've been in that same position before many times. A preacher has encouraged the spill of the gospel and it feels like you've been cornered. I've found as I've got older, there are good ways to deal about this. How are you going to show them the love of Jesus? We were at Jen's old church a few weeks ago and their pastor Steve asked his flock the question, how am I going to use my body to bring glory to God this week? I'm going to use my hands, my feet and my face. My hands, how are my hands going to serve God and his kingdom this week? What doors will I open and what will I give? My feet, where are my feet going to take me this week? Who will I encounter when I go there? Am I, ha- am I happy to be led by the Holy Spirit? And my face. With my eyes, who am I going to notice this week? 
With my ears, who can I listen to this week? And with my mouth, who can I bless and encourage this week? And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into this most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us enter a time of worship boldly, knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, has done the work already. We just need to remember it and thank him for it. We no longer need a priest to go before God and intercede for us. With our new relationship with God, we get, we, we get to go into the presence of the King without fear or having to be wary. We are welcomed into his courts as a child of God. See how this passage is speaking of what is happening now. We can boldly enter without fear now. We have a great high priest ruling now. We can trust him now. Our guilt is gone now. And we have been washed clean now. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Remember the need for transforming of the animal to take sin? We no longer live in accordance with Mosaic law. Rather, we live under messianic grace. An animal sacrifice in the first place wasn't sufficient enough to cover the sin. Only by grace and our, trans- our sins transformed onto Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, can we stand right with God. If you've joined us this morning and are meeting Jesus for the first time, can I encourage you to watch closely? As we go into a time of worship, you'll see a family made up of individuals that have been made clean. Not by slaughtering animals, burning fire and acrid smoke, but through a relationship with Jesus. That is why they worship. Because our God is worth worshipping. We have so much. Because Jesus gave so much. This is not of our own doing. All we did was accept the hand that was offered to us. Not through making a sacrifice or through their own bloodshed, but they are washed clean by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. The guilt and shame that you're hiding, that you're holding so close and afraid people are going to see, it can be gone. Like, completely gone. This opportunity is within arm's reach. When I was in my teens, I was swimming in the Avon with some friends, and my friend suddenly got into trouble. Um, He was too far downstream for me to reach him, and with his head slipping beneath the water, a couple of guys on a homemade raft came round the corner, and he reached out and was saved from going under. You have a really weighty decision to make. Am I going to reach out and take hold of the raft that has come to save me? No one is forcing you to do this. But here is an opportunity to be saved. To be saved from yourself. You need to confess your sin. You don't need to do it publicly. Under your breath or in your heart is fine. But you need to acknowledge that you have fallen short and you are willing to let Jesus clean you up.
I encourage you, if you do do that today, then we'd love to catch up with you. We'd love to pray for you, to encourage you, support you and point you in the right direction. It can all feel a bit much. It can be a bit overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. We, church, can help them navigate. For the rest of us, we still don't lead perfect lives, but we know what we need to do. As we go into worship, as we enter the courts of the King, bow before him. Recommit to him and repent of the things that have made you less wholesome. Do not allow yourselves to become like the Israelites. Don't let it become an act or a show, because God knows your heart. To a genuine repentance, he will welcome you with arms wide and sprinkle you with pure water once again. Worship him and enjoy his presence along with the rest of your family here. Can I invite the band back up, please? Church, encourage each other. Bring pictures, words, prophecy, a song or a tongue. We all need to be bolstered, reaffirmed and encouraged by what God has to say. If you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, be it here at the front or directly to someone, can I encourage you to be bold? Someone might just be waiting to hear what God is saying to them this morning. Look, I also want to encourage you to let go of your past guilt. In that passage I read at the beginning, I will never, ever again remember the sins of their lawless deeds. And when their sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. The point of this scripture is that God chooses not to remember our sin. For some reason, we like to gather it up and arrange it neatly in our bedside drawer. This is not what God wants us to do. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How can we enjoy God if we still carry our shame about in our pockets? He has chosen to forget, so then should we. Psalm 103 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Maybe you want someone to pray with you about that. In the first song, go. Don't hesitate, just go and find someone. Get them to pray with you. Then go and enjoy him. Enjoy his presence, his encouragement, his peace and his love in abundance for you. We'll be definitely picking this up in our life groups this week. If you take nothing else away from this message, then let it be this. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. We are clean and are therefore now acceptable to approach the throne and worship him freely in his presence. Be free. Be bold. Worship him. Thank him. Enjoy him.